Today's episode of Damage Control is brought to you by the Ringer's YouTube channel. We stepped up our game in 2017 with weekly videos like Cousin Sal's Best Bet, Slow News Day, NBA Desktop, No BS, Table Reads, Director's Commentary, and Captain Morgan's Make Believe Casino, as well as our video podcast and mini-movies like Take Hunter, Ringer 360, and Claytheism. Coming in 2018, a weekly video mailbag from Bill Simmons, Mallory Out of a Hat, and a slew of other new digital shows. Don't miss anything. Just go to theringer.com slash video. Or even better, please subscribe to our channel at youtube.com slash theringer. All right, now on to damage control. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Cameron Collins. Welcome to Damage Control on the Channel 33 Network, a podcast where we unpack what upsets, excites, and divides us in popular culture. This week, we're going to talk about Eminem, who's released a new album, a frankly rather frustrating album, as he tries to launch a public feud with Donald Trump. But first, we're going to talk about a different feud between two prominent black thinkers, the journalist Tanazi Coates and the leftist intellectual Cornell West. All right. First, Cam, do you want to explain briefly who who is Tanasi Coates and who is Cornell West, and why are these two black men fighting? <laughs> Ooh, that's a lot. Well, uh, I mean, first of all, Tanasi Coates is the longtime Atlantic Monthly columnist, uh, author of books like Between the World and Me. More recently, We Were Eight Years in Power, MacArthur Genius, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Cornell West is the esteemed philosopher, public intellectual, best known probably for the book Race Matters, getting arrested at at Occupy and, of course, fighting ta Coates on the Internet since I was in college. Uh, why are they fighting? This is a big question. <laughs> <laughs> well, you say you say Cornell West best known for Race Matters. This week he's best known for having written or this weekend, really. He's best known for having written uh, an op-ed in The Guardian that has a pretty punchy headline where he accuses Ta-Nehisi Coates of being, basically of being like a neoliberal shill, which is a popular epithet. <laughs> in fact, word for word, the headline, quite a headline. The headline is, Ta-Nehisi Coates is the neoliberal face of a black freedom struggle, which is a lot. This is a, a really sort of punchy, combative, arguably mean-spirited op-ed about a popular black writer written by Cornel West. I'm going to read a brief bit of it. Sure. In short, Tanahasi Coates fetishizes white supremacy. Mm. He makes it almighty, magical, and unremovable. What concerns me is his narrative of defiance. For Coates, defiance is narrowly aesthetic, a personal commitment to writing with no connection to collective action. It generates crocodile tears of neoliberals who have no intention of sharing power or giving up privilege. That's a, a lot. lot. <laughs> I mean, I, I should I should say, you know, Charity, we we've reflected on this just to make sure we we both weren't going crazy. That this is a fight that's been going on <laughs> for a while. According to my Twitter feed, this is newly exciting for many of us. But this is a fight that I mean, I feel like I remember when Cornell West first wrote a Facebook post. It was basically like his version of Live Journal, where it was just complicating. Uh, some of the political positions of Ta-Nehisi Coates. I feel like I've been seeing this rehashed many, 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 many times, and nothing in this editorial really changes that. But there's something about this particular editorial right now, 25th anniversary of Race Matters, Donald Trump presidency, 
et cetera, et cetera, that feels particularly, wouldn't you say, pungent, pointed? Let's give Tanahasi some breathing room here. So yes. Tanahasi, in responding to this sort of viral Guardian op-ed by Cornel West, sort of takes to Twitter initially. And he he goes on a – he basically tries to engage Cornel West somewhat sort of mute, – not mutedly, but – he doesn't get nearly as vitriolic as Cornel right. West does in the op-ed. He doesn't. He doesn't. Um, what's your sense of, of Ta-Nehisi Coates' response to this op-ed on Twitter? Well, what I mostly remember, because Ta-Nehisi Coates has since left Twitter. Since deleted his Twitter. Uh, <laughs> for, for various reasons, not limited to this editorial. But part of Cornel West's argument, this, these are things that he said before, is that Ta-Nehisi Coates is committed to kind of a, a myth of President Obama's political legacy that just does not quite hold up under the scrutiny when you think of things like drone strikes, American imperialism broadly. Cornel West's basic position is that this was not a liberatory president, that if you're thinking in those terms, you're mostly thinking in terms of symbolism. You're not thinking about the everyday fabric of, in particular, black people's lives, poor people's lives, that this was not a good president for black people or poor people or people abroad. Thing is, when Cornel West tweeted this out, people like Richard Spencer kind of agreed with it and kind of piled on online. And of course, there are the many, many people that are fond of Ta-Nehisi Coates who also kind of pile on. I, basically, what I'm getting at is I saw a lot of Twitter threads, some Twitter threads that were like, what is neoliberalism? Let me take a moment to point that out, which I just, man, whew. Well, I should clarify that Richard Spencer is like the, the alt-light. He's like a popular alt-light white nationalist. I mean, a lot of people who sort of online are defending and extolling Tanasi Coates are, 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 are parroting this line, right, of, I just think it's funny how mm. Cornell West and neo-Nazis both happen to not like Tanahasi Coates. And I'm interested in getting, I'm, I'm interested in drilling down on the variety of people who I would say over the years have sort of taken their stabs at Tanahasi Coates' political perspective on Obama sure. and Tanahasi Coates' political perspective on white supremacy. There seems to be this sense that of an impressively diverse coalition of political interests object to Tanahasi Coates' political project. And I'm trying to figure out what it is about Tanahasi Coates' project or his journalistic project, however you want to understand him right. as a historian, as a journalist, as a public intellectual, whatever you want to call him. Right. What is it about him that attracts this multi-varied opposition online. Mm. There's certainly a part of that coalition of dissenters who are interested in the fact that ta Coates does seem to have a lot of appeal for specifically a white liberal audience. There's a sense with which like white liberal Democrats with college educations love to be put in their place by Ta-Nehisi Coates <laughs> right, right. <laughs> in like 50,000 words, just a 50,000 word spanking. Yeah, it's a weird kink. It's a weird it's, intellectual it's like, kink. It's a kink, right? <laughs> it's it's absolutely a kink. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of suspicion of that. There's There's a lot of suspicion, I think. I mean, there's a lot of questions being raised also just about the role of black public intellectualism here. I think that's a fundamental thing that's going on between Cornel West and Tanahasi. Cornel West is leftist. He's someone who's kind of anti-imperialist, anti-capitalist, et cetera, et cetera. So for him, if you have anything positive to say about Obama, who he just thinks is not up to par in those conversations, you're fucked. He's just not interested. Tanahasi Coates, I think... It's not over generous to say has a more complicated relationship to the president. 
But it's it's hard to disentangle Cornel West's opinions about Ta-Nehisi from Cornel West's opinions about Obama, right? These things are deeply tangled. I'd say maybe setting aside the right wing right. and like right wing opposition to Coates. I think a lot of liberal left skepticism about Coates is basically using Coates as a stand-in for Barack Obama. Hmm. And it's sort of in this sense that everyone, I think, senses at this point the things that are complicated about Barack Obama's appeal, right. his narrative, his status as the first black president, and the fact that America is founded as this racial nightmare state. And there's something you don't want to discount about the fact that regardless of the policy contours of his presidency, he's the first black president that's meaningful to a lot of people. We get it. And so right. because people, I think, even after a year after Obama's been out of office, right, people still don't know how to engage with... Obama in a nuanced way. Right. It's almost like they've transformed Tanahasi Coates into Barack Obama's proxy. Right. And so the whole time I'm reading this Cornell, and, and this is why we're talking about, I think, this feud on damage control, because otherwise it's these two random black guys who have never liked each other arguing with each other. Who always fight. <laughs> right. Who always fight. This but, is like not new. <laughs> right. But the thing that I think. This is a rap feud that I, I've just. God, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> It is. It is. <laughs> but I, th- I think the thing that's emerging now that I just hadn't thought about until I read the Cornell West op-ed is that Cornell West is a huge Obama critic. But over the years, you have to sense that Cornell West has become demoralized at the lack of traction that his Obama critiques have gotten, mm. I think, in the mainstream. Whereas going at Coates seems like an, a very effective shortcut. <laughs> Okay, absolutely. <laughs> to a lot of critiques of Obama. Absolutely. And and again, it, I mean, you said, right, that Tanasi Coates has a complicated view of Obama, but he's still he's this figure who because I think his rise, his his rise as a journalist is entangled in Obama's rise to the presidency and in, in his two terms in office. Absolutely. Which is something that Cornel West has written about. Right. About black public intellectuals kind of coupling themselves with the rise of Obama as a way of, he would call it, sort of professional climbing, right? Right. Right. Just seems like there's a conflation going on here. It's like I, I basically think that a lot of things that are written about Ta-Nehisi Coates should be repitched and rewritten as just things that are about Obama. Because it seems like they're conflated targets. I would say, though, that if there's anyone in public intellectual circles who's done the most for Obama's mythology, it would be Ta-Nehisi Coates for me, I think. Who would you read a 60,000-word piece about Obama right. by? Right, right. It, It's going to be him. I don't think anyone else would get me to... <laughs> That's a lot of words, man. I mean, I, <laughs> That's a novella. It, it's a lot of words. Uh, <laughs> but I know that I need to read his piece because that's the one that everyone's going to be talking about. I, to your point earlier about Cornell West being frustrated by the lack of traction of his ideas, that is only more true in the Trump era when it seems even harder to levy a nuanced critique of Obama because look who we have now, right? It's sort of sure. like in so many ways we all are saying that Obama is is just, you know, I mean, however bad or good you think he is, clearly Trump is worse. I think a lot of people are – Insta knee jerk defending Tanahasi because there's a sense of 
what is so wrong about having a complicated but overall positive view of President Obama in the midst of political apocalypse? I mean, we're sitting here right now and like today I've gotten multiple push alerts about about this tax stuff, right? It's like I think there's an extent to which the grass is always greener. I would be more sympathetic to that complicated but overall positive sort of outlook yes. that you're describing if it seemed uh, like an outlook that was about politics. But yes. I think a lot of the time that complicated but positive outlook on Obama seems really like a triumph of aesthetics Absolutely. and contrast. Absolutely. Again, this is a dance we've all done before. We've heard this song before. But something that actually felt a little bit new to me was toward the end of his piece, Cornell kind of saying outright like – I wish y'all would stop saying this is just about <laughs> me being petty. petty yeah, he because, a- because, and I, and I, and I'm with him there. There's this sense with which, like, in the way that for many people, you can't say anything about Obama, you cannot say anything about Tanahasi. There's this pedestal that he's put on that's complicated for me because I feel like part of the reason so many people are interested in this debate right now, today, or since Sunday, are people just not used to two highly political black thinkers being so different <laughs> <laughs> and disagreeable with one D- another. and disagreeing like is this all just come down to the same argument i see on twitter every day even today like the hillary v bernie relitigation over and over again except this time it's like within the black community so it's newly interesting because oh my god do you mean to say that there is a variety of political opinion is that what's interesting to people? The fact that we have a black radical thinker being pitted against a black liberal thinker and holy shit, we just thought blacks were Democrats. Is that what this is? Uh, like, please help me because. <laughs> well, I think, I think, I think that's true in terms of how other people perceive this feud. I do think that sometimes Tanasi Coates carries himself, mm. he carries himself in ways that aid that perception. If you remember a few years ago, Tanahasi Coates got into a protracted exchange. I wouldn't even call it a feud. It was just a protracted exchange about his sort of signature pessimism about the future mm-hmm. of race relations with Jonathan Chait, uh, a longtime columnist at and writer at New York Magazine. Right. right? And Jonathan Chait is white. And the, the contrast between Tanahasi Coates' worldview and Jonathan Chait's worldview is much I, – I would say it's a wider than the contrast between – Cornell West and Tanahasi Coates world. I, I would agree. But the way that that exchange of ideas played out, it was very, it was almost like this weird 18th century exchange of letters. Like, I received your previous correspondence. Oh, I it, was, it, was, it was very wild. polite. It was, yeah. it was exceedingly polite for An the fact. intellectual debate. Right. And a it's, salon. <laughs> a salon, right. It had that tone. It had that tone. Of it was a, very old school. Two gentlemen exchanging Dear letters. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> and Absolutely. Whereas when it becomes a debate between Cornell West and Tanahasi Coates, who are both black, it just seems like it devolves very quickly and, and sort of it's not neither party affords the exchange that level of care and self-awareness about the high-profile nature of their disagreement. Sure. And so sure. and so it begins as a really snippy <laughs> column from Cornell West, and it ends with Tanasi Coates doing the ultimate taking my ball and going home move, like, oh, which yeah. is deleting his Twitter. Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of messy political rivalries in the Trump era, Eminem (laughs) has a new album out. Who knew, first of all? It's called Revival. Someone get this area in a sheet. 
Time to bury him, so tell him to prepare to get impeached. Everybody on your feet. This is where terrorism and heroism meet. Square off in the street. This chump barely even sleeps. All he does is watch Fox News like a parrot and repeats. While he looks like a canary with a beak. Why you think he banned transgenders from the military with a tweet? He's trying to divide us. This shit's like a cult, but like Johnny, he'll only unite us because nothing inside us drives us like this fight. Charity, you review the album to the ringer.com. I am with you 100% in saying that the album sucks. Uh, musically, the album can fuck right off. But I, I am eager to talk to you about Eminem and the Trump era. I have thoughts, but you, you are the music critic. So let's start with, tell me about this album that I listened to two times out of due diligence. Could not tell you a single thing about it except that Beyonce was on there and she need not have been. <laughs> and that's the first track. We're going to end up talking about the politics of this album yeah. and a lot of the anti-Trump posturing that Eminem does in this album. Keyword posturing. A posturing. And because I know we're going to get into that, I just I will say that musically, let me be a music critic for like five seconds on this podcast. That's all it deserves. Musically. The album is excruciating. It's trash. <laughs> it's excruciating. It, it's so bad. Eminem is writing the line between two different types of Eminem records that I think people will know Eminem for since the Eminem show. Mm. Um, and then since songs like Love the Way You Lie, which is like, on the one hand, you have the Eminem records that are these big top 40 pop rock rap ballads. <laughs> ba with the Ba era. <laughs> To be honest. And then on the other hand, you have Eminem album cuts, which are these songs that most times don't have hooks and that totally feel like gym class. They feel like a rapper rapping just to show you the metaphysical possibilities of rapping and and how much they've trained and gotten their breath control down pat and how they can (laughs) bend words to their will. And he's writing the line between those two types of records. And he he has a lot of those records on his last four or five albums. But this album just feels so long and the mistakes and the missteps feel so pronounced. And Eminem's style of rapping, for one, is very wordy, lyrically dense style of rapping, very aggressive style of rapping, and then his musical sensibilities, which have never been great. (laughs) But his Mm. very arena rock rap musical production sensibilities have not sounded more dated and more out of step with what contemporary hip-hop sounds like. He could not sound any more incompatible with the sort of trap, trippy SoundCloud mainstream. So here's the thing. Eminem is a white rapper, uh-huh. and it's uncomfortable to talk about sometimes, but white rappers have a different career tract. They have weird nuanced differences in who their fan bases are over time, whether you're talking about Eminem, whether you're talking about Macklemore, whether you're talking about Mac Miller, whether you're talking about Post Malone, whether you're talking about G-Eazy, Machine Gun Kelly. The way that, the way that white rappers, who, who aren't always novelty white rappers, the way they cultivate fan bases, they can afford to... to stand out a bit more from the hip-hop mainstream and still sell albums and still make money and still do well on tour beyond just having whatever their breakout or viral single is. And so Eminem is the, he is the godfather of that. He is the godfather of sounding more and more adrift from the hip-hop mainstream every year and yet selling a boatload of albums first week. But how is it an album like this, which, as you point out in your piece, and again here, how is it that he is posturing sort of this anti-Trump thing? Is that alienating his audience? Well, that's a good question. You so, take Eminem at his word. <laughs> White America is about you. Right. 
the album again, it's called Revival, and the, the album rollout began a couple months ago, and it didn't begin with a single, it began with the freestyle. It began with this BET freestyle um, that's sort of informally called The Storm, but it's, it's, it's several minutes, and it's Eminem on video. And again, it's Eminem on video after a while of people not really seeing Eminem on video, so it right. really seemed like, oh, Eminem just came out of nowhere, okay, he's clearly right, dropping an album. Right, right, right. So he does this freestyle, and the entire – the thesis, the gist of the freestyle is this anti-Trump rant. And in, in, in the midst of that freestyle, he has a couple lines where he's saying, hey, any of my fans who are with Trump, fuck you. Like, right. That's not – I don't stand for that. I'm, I'm doing this freestyle to let you know that I don't stand for this. Right. Racism's the only thing he's fantastic for because that's how he gets his rocks off and he's orange. Yeah, sick tan. That's why he wants us to disband, because he cannot withstand the fact we're not afraid of Trump. That's why he keeps screaming, drain the swamp, because he's in quicksand. You know, Eminem seems self-conscious about the idea that, sure, he has a lot of white fans who maybe think of him differently than they think of black rappers. Even if on more subconscious levels, right. they're just being like, I only fuck with white rappers. <laughs> Which, right. Um, yeah. Eminem is self-conscious about it, but I don't I don't think he knows what to do about it. He doesn't really have a sense of, you know, he doesn't have a sense of accountability ultimately about his his fan base's politics, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, you're really making me think cuz when that freestyle dropped, that freestyle know, was viral and lots of people talked about it, I should say. Yeah, it, it, was it was big. It was a big deal. Right. And it's sort of as much as I think the last few Eminem albums from the past uh, 5 or 6 years have left a lot of people cold, have left a lot of critics cold. Right. I think people seeing Eminem come back with the a, a very, again, a very passionate uh, and very vulgar <laughs> freestyle right. against Trump was basically the most goodwill Eminem was going to earn from people in right. terms of rolling out a new Eminem album on Particularly it. in the moment of why won't Taylor Swift tell us who she voted for. Right. This, this need, <laughs> this need, this real need that thirst. people have. It's not a need, it's a thirst. It is a thirst, People You're are right. thirsty. I stand corrected. But this, this, this urge that people have that just you need, I mean, you need someone like Taylor Swift. I, to be honest, it is important to me that Eminem does have this stance but it's important to me because it's incongruous. And this is sort of what I wanted to talk to you about because, you know, good for Eminem that he's that he's distancing himself from what would seem to be the culture that his music helped to facilitate in some ways. This album for me does not quite do responsibly or interestingly what he, I think, is trying to do, what he seems to feel that he needs to do. I have to say... If this album were not pegged to the Trump era, I don't think I would have anything to say about it except for that it's bad. Go home, <laughs> try again next time. You know, I, like, I, I don't – but because it's pegged to the Trump era and because it's in this gloss of a confrontation with, frankly, Eminem's own legacy. Right. That's all this is to me. I, I have to be honest. This well, is not much more than that. Let's start from here. Yeah. Can you describe for me when you say – uh, the culture that Eminem's music, it, and I assume you mean music from when he blew up, right? Yes. So 1999 through the aughts. Yes. When you say the culture that Eminem's music helped facilitate, what, yes. do you, what do you think of when you say that? I'm talking about all the angry white boys I went to middle school and high school with who saw the image of a VMA performance of the millions of, of M- blonde M- Eminems, right? Who like, 
who who defended the killing my wife or girlfriend and putting her in my trunk bullshit. And Stan, right. Right, and Stan who – but also beyond Stan, just like the image of the – the image of Eminem, the legacy of Eminem. The irreverent wife beater. The irreverent wife beater, the homophobic sort of provocateur. The tiki torch before the tiki torches is what I'm getting at. The guy who would not be out of place at all at a Charlottesville riot, right? Like, well, that, but that's, that's like, what his music has meant right. to me, even as I have consumed it and in the past liked it. Like, I'm not going to act like – I'm not going to act like Eminem has not had bops. And I'm not going to act like <laughs> – him and it has bops. That's the best thing you've said for this he, admittedly young podcast. He does, but there was always this discomfort for me. And now I feel like he is reckoning with precisely the feeling that he instilled in me when he first came out, which is just like, I don't want to auto-reject Eminem. I'm very with the project of a white dude reckoning with this kind of legacy. But I listened to this album and I just, in addition to being like a no-dose, it's also just not smart in the way that I think he needs it to be to properly reconcile. Well, let me say, so your line specifically about Eminem is the tiki f- torch before the tiki torches in Charlottesville, right? It's, it's, it's interesting because Eminem is uncanny in a way, in that aesthetically, and I, and I wrote a piece about this for yes. the ringer.com, yes. the, the idea that aesthetically, attitudinally, yes, that is true. He, he has this sort of... Uh, irreverent, reckless, white boy, blonde, um, dickhead <laughs> right. mission. This dickhead, anti-PC, post-South Park musical mission that doesn't really have anything to do with his avowed partisan politics, right. which is ostensibly liberal, right? Like when it's sort of like the first wave of Eminem music uh, so Slim Shady LP, right? 1999, when Eminem's first blowing up. All of his statements about politics are are sort of immature posturing. They're like, I'll slap, you know, Hillary Clinton. She called me a pervert. Right. It's lines about, you know, Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky and Bob Dole. Right. It's this stuff that sort of you can't really read a lot into that as much as you can read into – uh, his misogyny or his homophobia on records. But when right. Eminem on the Eminem show, you know, he starts basically, he makes White America, which is a... Instant classic. Instant classic. <laughs> <laughs> White America is when he first is engaging, I don't want to say in a serious way, so much as I want to say in a self-conscious way, yes. with the idea of I'm making a protest record. Yes. I'm making a protest record about how stodgy white conservatives will inevitably give you know birth to white kids who humiliate their politics right and right. how i'm all about that and he makes this song mosh i think a couple years later which is about george bush it's a protest record against george bush largely in response to the war in iraq you know eminem a lot of eminem's bush protest stuff is 
concerned with like American foreign policy. It's all it's it's concerned with all the stuff that Cornell West is worried that Tanasi Coates is not sufficiently concerned with. Wow. <laughs> but but <laughs> it's sort of so it's weird. Noted. So so on a formal level, M and M's politics are liberal. Yes, aesthetically, yes. not the takeaway though, right? In the way right. that he suffused the culture, at least of my suburban town. Wait, no one's like, oh man, Mosh is a revolutionary political protest right. record. The thing that's radical and revolutionary about M and M to a lot of people is his. His his hyper white, hyper masculine, hyper angry, hyper angry and irreverent anti PC defiance. Yeah, and yeah. so when he forges that in the arts and then comes back in 2017 to basically, it, I'm gonna you basically have the BET freestyle. You have another record on revival that's called Like Home, which is another. Right. It's featuring Alicia Keys, but it's this this anti Trump protest record. The, the common theme across all of the songs that Eminem is putting out about Trump is basically Eminem calling Trump a bully, which is the most yes. incoherent thing. Can we? It's yes. the most incongruous thing. It's Eminem is the definitive. He he is a bully. That was the thing he was famous for being. He would bully random celebrities. He would bully people on records. He would mock kill people. He you know he has whole songs oriented around being death threats to people. And so for him to reemerge against Donald Trump and say, hey, you're being a bully. It's it's just the it's the most bizarre instinct. It's weird, right? <laughs> it's weird. And, and, I think and it doesn't follow. It doesn't follow from who you know Eminem to be. Right. So what is going on? This is the thing that I've been trying <laughs> to figure out. No, genuinely, like, what is the... I'm just having a hard time with reconciling any of this with who I understand Eminem to be, what his meaning is to the culture. I think that seems to be, for me, the thing that he doesn't quite understand. He doesn't right. seem to under he he wants to reckon with his meaning to the culture, but he doesn't seem to understand a what his meaning is, b how to properly as an artist do something about it. Because I didn't hate that freestyle, but mostly I appreciated it as a sort of like a well, good for you. At least you've drawn a line in the sand, and you don't want racist pieces of shit to to be the defining kind of audience for you. But I don't know what to do with this album. I think you do know what to do. I think you I think you're hitting the nail on the head. It's just not that much more complicated than it. The through line to me on the album is Eminem sort of scratching his head and grasping. I mean, even on that song, Walk on Water, which is the first single, mm-hmm. it's, it's a song featuring Beyonce. It's a ballad. And the whole concept of Eminem's verses is him trying to write through frustration of not knowing how he's supposed to sound now and not knowing whether hip hop appreciates him the way it appreciated him maybe a decade ago. Absolutely. And so on the musical end, that translates as Eminem writing these lines about not knowing where he fits in the hip-hop zeitgeist. But politically, I, I think a lot of the anti-Trump posturing is there because and, – and I don't doubt the sincerity of, I don't either. of Eminem's opposition to Trump. I, from everything I understand about Eminem's politics, it totally makes sense that he would not like Donald Trump on on a certain level. But I think Eminem just sort of – senses that oh yeah this is what i'm supposed to do right like he's yeah. beefed with so many celebrities over the years and he's made fun of so many politicians and he knows that he is a recluse who between album cycles just basically avoids the press we don't ever see him and i think if anything he just has this press instinct of yeah i guess i'm supposed to beef with donald trump now right like he's the he's the guy that no one likes it, it's a compelling matchup i'm this white guy who no one likes the, the dynamic is complicated. It's just good TV, right? I feel like that's Eminem's logic. 
And, okay, well, <laughs> and it's and it's it's well, it's kind of impeccable. It's kind of impeccable as as a reason for marketing, but sure. it's just once you see Eminem start to advance that feud with Trump, and you see Trump not respond to him and not acknowledge why would he him. Give at all, a fuck. Well, I mean, but Trump's a guy who who's, who regularly beefs with Rosie O'Donnell, and he's ignoring Eminem. Rosie O'Donnell makes a lot more sense to me than Eminem. Rosie O'Donnell, okay. TV personality. This is <laughs> that makes sense. But yeah, him acknowledging Eminem, I don't think he. I don't think he has the bandwidth to listen to Eminem. Yeah, well, yeah, because yeah, if he'd made a because as you pointed out, Eminem is exhausting <laughs> as a performer, as a rapper. I don't think. I mean, Trump listening to hip hop rap period. I just yeah, yeah, for sure. He would need it to be translated. He hasn't responded to YG either. Right. Who made a song literally <laughs> called "Fuck Donald Trump." So, so there, I think there's something to be said for that. But it's sort of from a marketing perspective. I think Eminem recognizes that it's a decent feud for him to sell an album on the back of. But it's like once you watch Eminem start to wade into the dynamic at play, yeah. when you pit problematic rapper Eminem, white rapper Eminem against problematic white president Donald Trump, it, that's where I look at Eminem and I think, oh, you're a little over your head. You, yeah. you don't seem to quite understand right. why people who don't like Donald Trump are also distrustful of you. And right. you're not really you're not really circumventing my skepticism right. in the way that a smarter version of you or just a different messenger might. So ultimately what this all means is that we need better protest music, better protest rap, better white rappers. <laughs> Better black intellectuals, fewer petty Twitter fights, fewer feuds about neoliberalism, fewer Twitter threads, and better podcasts like ours. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back next year. Until then, guys, chill out. Everybody relax. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.